Hello and welcome to Page Parley. This is the show where we speak to authors or experts on creative writing. Today we're speaking to author Juliet Rose. I'm a writer. I live in, in America. I live in uh, the state of Georgia. I'm actually a native New Yorker, but I really like the sun. So I uh, moved <laughs> down to the south where it's much warmer. And sunny. Legit. <laughs> I currently have uh, three novels that are published. I have one coming out next month in May uh, and another coming out in the summer, which is a little different because it's a horror novel. And I usually write contemporary literary fiction. Mm, that's such fun. Oh, fantastic. So uh, how did uh, how did you get into writing? Writing for me was just always something that was there. I think before I really knew to like record my stories, I was always just telling stories. I would tell stories on the way home from the bus stop to other kids. And, you know, they were pretty fantastical, but <laughs> it was what I really liked to do. I, I read um, from, from a very young age, I was actually uh, reading by the time I was four or five years old. Mm-hmm. And so I was just grabbing books off the bookshelf. And, and so I think part of me always wanted to be a writer. And so as soon as I kind of understood that was something that I could do, got a typewriter and I started just pecking away at manuscripts. Oh, fantastic. Do you miss the typewriter ever? I have a friend who owns an antique typewriter and they say it's such a lovely sensation to write with. It is. And I actually own one as well. I went um, last year and we have antique shops near us. I said, I'm going to look for an antique typewriter. And I wanted something that actually worked and I could still buy ink for. So I found a royal typewriter from the 50s. Wow. Um, And so, yeah, I I don't use that for my writing writing, but it's (laughs) nice to get on and just write on it sometimes. Oh, that's so lovely. Uh, So in each of your individual works, uh, are there topics and issues that you raise deliberately? Absolutely. I think when I write a story, um, that's actually the first thing that comes to me is a specific topic that I want to bring into that story. Mm-hmm. And so I look at um, usually something that's triggered something in me, whether it's like a news article or something I've heard about. And I then take that issue, whatever it might be. And then I start to weave the story around that. So it's actually the first thing that comes to me is the plot point of, of an issue. And then I start to build out from that. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Would you mind giving us an example? In my story, We Don't Matter, um, it deals with first LGBTQ, because um, that's something very familiar in my own life. I'm the mother of, of LGBTQ uh, children. So mm-hmm. I'm very familiar with that. But um, I also delved into police brutality, which is something that's kind of a hot issue in, in America a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems like as soon as one situation kind of calms down then a new one crops up and so I really wanted to approach that from um, a generational point of view I really wanted to look at kids that are growing up today people that are in their you know late teens early 20s and and kind of the world they live in this is almost the norm now and so I wanted to really bring that into a story and show how somebody would have to deal with that within their generation within their friend group within their city and so I brought that in as well and then I also brought in church abuse because I wanted to kind of approach that with the LGBT TQ as well, mm-hmm. um, having, you know, these characters that were raised in a church and then were LGBTQ and then how they basically were ostracized, not only from their church, but from their family and their community. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had those at first before I built out the whole story. And then the story evolved around that. Why do you think that it's important to bring up topics like these in a fictional setting? I think when it comes to like nonfiction, your market is your market. Like you're going to get people that are already interested in that. Anybody that's not is going to shy away from it Mm. uh, or disregard it. And I think when you put it into fiction, what you're doing is allowing the story 
to open doorways instead of preaching at people. And so like somebody will pick up the book and maybe the, the cover catches their eye or their friend read it and they really liked it. And, and suddenly they're going to pick up something and read about subjects they wouldn't necessarily seek out. And mm-hmm. so it does open their minds. And that was my goal in doing this is how can I reach people in a way where they don't feel like I'm lecturing or preaching at them, but rather mm-hmm. teaching them empathy through like these characters' experiences. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. You originally started in writing nonfiction. Could you tell us a bit about how you got into that? And also if you feel that that background informs your fiction writing? Yeah. So when I was a kid, I wrote fiction because, you know, that's what children know, right? They know the stories that they can create. And so I wrote fiction stories. But then as an adult, I really switched to nonfiction um, from my own experiences, things I had gone through or seen. Um, I lost my daughter to cancer. And so you know, I wanted to use my writing, my voice at that time to, to really expose things or to share, share with people actual experiences or knowledge that I had gained. Um, and then over years, basically, I still wrote, I still write nonfiction. I still read primarily nonfiction. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where, again, I, I really wanted to say, how is a way I can reach more people? with these situations without, you know, just writing a nonfiction article, you know, something for a magazine or a newspaper. Cause again, I felt like I was not getting the base that I wanted to, mm-hmm. that base was basically going to skim over <laughs> something <laughs> if, if I wrote it and they weren't interested. So that's really where nonfiction, I felt like I could write it into a story. And I think any fiction story has some research, some knowledge, mm-hmm. you know, some history. So I think most fiction stories, you're gaining something. Mm-hmm. I just really wanted to do it in a way that I was using things that I was passionate about mm-hmm. and writing those into those stories. I suppose that ties together the raising topics of real world importance in a fictional setting that helps people to explore those ideas. And then in your nonfiction work, you were sharing your your lived experiences of very difficult situations uh, in a way that uh, I think m- many people would have felt that they weren't alone. Was, was that important to you? Absolutely. When I wrote nonfiction, that's why I put it on papers because, you know, I felt when I was going, say, through the situation with my daughter being diagnosed and being in the hospital, I felt very alone. I felt like nobody in the world could possibly understand what I was going through. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I did write nonfiction, I wanted to show that someone did understand what you were going through. And so when I was writing nonfiction, it was more like direct to direct. That was my mindset as I'm trying to reach that mother out there facing this or this grandmother whose grandchild's going through this or whichever. Um, and so like, it was very direct experiences that I had when I switched to fiction. Cause what I realized is through my daughter's illness and then subsequent passing is that like everybody suffers, everybody carries weight, everybody has things. And so what I wanted to approach with fiction versus nonfiction was I was trying to reach people, but it didn't have to be my direct experience. It just had to be an experience. And so I wanted to put that experience out there to reach anyone versus mm-hmm. me trying to reach that person that was going through exactly what I went through. Right. That that makes a lot of sense. So you mentioned um, that research goes into every aspect of writing. So how do you personally go about researching? I spent a lot of time researching. I, it's <laughs> funny because I always have these tabs up. So if I'm writing, there's like usually 10 tabs of things. Because as soon as I come to something and I'm writing and it's, it's in fiction and I'm writing, I come across mm-hmm. a scenario and whatever it is, whether it's food or it's a culture or it's an experience, and I don't have direct knowledge on it, then I immediately go and I start researching. So I basically open up tabs and I start researching. I, I do try to go through like directly to sources versus like, 
Wikipedia or something like that. Not that Wikipedia mm. is good, but I try to dig to actual like sources of mm. maybe people that have had those experiences or mm. where I can gain that. I read a lot of newspaper articles because, um, you know, it's amazing what you can type in and mm. find articles about that specific thing. <laughs> so then I have those articles and, uh-huh. you know, right. use those as well. So I make sure that I'm, I'm really trying to find the most accurate information possible. Mm. For me, Wikipedia, it was a trick my dad taught me in university. It's okay to go to the Wikipedia page, but then go to the sources at the bottom of that page and then they'll exactly. lead you to other th- Yeah, that was that was my exactly. get through university trick. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah, because a lot of people just go to Wikipedia and that's not enough. You know, that's still somewhat opinionated. It's kind of like flash writing. <laughs> yeah, I like that nowadays they... um. At the top, they say this article needs work. It's missing this, this, and this, or it's too based on this, or it's you know. I, I like that it's it, it this the site is evolving, and I like that there are sources at the bottom where you can go. Oh, great! I can go and double check this. I can go and do that, that, and the next thing. You know, you do want to make sure if you don't have direct knowledge or experience, it's really important to find mm-hmm. that from legitimate sources. What do you think are some of the ingredients to a good story? I view that as a writer, as I view it as a reader, like what is a story as a reader that's really going to capture me? And I'm, I'm really into good character development. You know, Mm -hmm. if if I can't connect to the character right off the bat, I'm not Mm going to really read that story. I'm going to skim it. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think first and foremost, you have to make those characters, people that, that the reader's going to feel invested in. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, I, I think that a good plot, you know, something that is, is clean, and when I say clean, I don't mean that it doesn't have twists and turns. I mean that the reader can follow it and that mm-hmm. it wraps up that they understand where you were going with that mm. um, is really important as well. Um, scene setting is good. I, I do think for me, when I do scene setting, I tend to, I, I call it like scene setting light because I, I set a scene, <laughs> but I also want the reader to set that scene. Like I, I don't want to so describe something that the reader doesn't get to feel invested in that. So what mm-hmm. I do is describe it enough that it puts the reader in the place, but they get to fill in the, the, the you know, the little pieces. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Would you mind talking a little bit about your upcoming novel? The next novel I have coming out, um, I have coming out with Adelaide, New York, and that's coming mm. out in May. And that's called Trigger Point. Mm. Um, and that story is based in a search and rescue in Montana. And it starts out with the main character and she's she's a paramedic there and, and she grew up in the town and, and she's she's biracial. So she has like her own experiences of living Montana being biracial Mm. and they're getting a new dog handler. And when the dog handler comes, he's deaf. And so their, you know, initial reaction is what do we do with a deaf dog handler? You know, it kind of gets into how people initially respond to disability. Like they immediately kind of start questioning how they're going to communicate with somebody that has a disability or interact with somebody that has a disability. Um, And she just really bites the bullet and decides she's going to step forward and figure this out. And she remembers that she learned, you know, the alphabet when she was in school, the, Mm. you know, ASL alphabet. So she goes and she tries to start communicating. And so that story starts out that way. And then it gets into like his past, things that he went through Mm. growing up that way. He has anger issues from that. It gets into her past, you know, growing up in this really close knit family, but in an area where they felt kind of isolated at times because they were biracial. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's a traumatic event that happens in the book. And then it's kind of how they both have to come back to it. Uh, and and learn to to function around each other with that trauma. When I was trying to write it, what I was looking at, obviously I have trauma from my own life. And so I was trying to think about like how different people react to trauma. Mm. And so, you know, her reaction to trauma is very different than his reaction to trauma. Mm. And so I wanted to really show that in the story, like how, 
you know, her trauma gets into like generations of family and how she, who she is as a person. Mm. And then his is also what happened to him because, you know, they, you know, he was adopted as a child out because he was deaf. So he was adopted to a different family. And, and a lot of this kind of surfaces because of this event that happens, it forces them both to have to like come together and address these trauma traumas that they've been through and who they are as people because of those. That rings so true to lived experiences where it's never just about one thing. It's always a layered reaction. It is. I think we all have things that, you know, we've learned to encapsulate and put in boxes inside of ourselves. And so on a day to day, we're able to just function with those boxes inside of ourselves. But Mm -hmm. like just one event can trigger those to just unpack themselves. And all Mm -hmm. of a sudden we're exposed and we don't know how to function. And I really wanted to address that. Now, this is a very different genre to one that you've written in previously. What, What really drew you to that genre? Yeah, any genre that I write, it's usually because there's something in that story that myself I would want to read. So, you know, so my, my first three books really dealt more with like a social issue. And then kind of, you know, I really do tend to deal with addiction and, and mental illness and mm-hmm. most of my stories. This one, I was really drawn to writing a, a character that was disabled that wasn't a trope. In my own mm-hmm. life, my husband has a disability and, you know, I've definitely dealt with that. And, and it's very frustrating when I read a book or I watch a program and, and the character with a disability is a trope. It's just mm-hmm. like, they're not a person, they're their disability. And mm-hmm. I really wanted to have a character that was shown to be a person living with a disability versus being that disability. So, and then the horror novel that I wrote, same thing. I love horror. I mean, I do love like reading a good scary book. And so it also deals a little bit with like the, that book that's coming out the summer. It deals with a little bit of like, kind of like family trauma and stuff like that. And so the horror is in there as well, but I also wanted to have the characters, like how would they deal with this unknown situation Mm. coming from the past that they had. So it's always something in there that like makes me want to write that story. And I don't like to give myself, you know, boundaries. If I want to write it, I want to write it. Do you have any advice uh, for people young or old uh, who are aspiring writers? You know, I actually had a really interesting conversation this weekend. I was at an event and this guy next to me, he had a a booth and he and I started talking and he was an English teacher. And he said, you know, he said, the thing I get, he said, there's so many kids today, they don't really have the ability to tap into their creativity. Like they, they haven't really been taught that like everything we have with social media and, and things like that is so immediately gratifying that mm. they don't really have this, like, you know, daydream, let's your mind wander type of thing. I always say when it comes to writing, use your voice, but I realize it's deeper than that. You have to find your voice. And I think sometimes that takes like putting everything down and stepping away and just walk around your town and watch people and watch situations and let your mind start to think about their stories. Mm -hmm. Because that's where I guess that people say, well, where do you come with your stories? I didn't. And a lot of times it's imagery. I'll just like take the dogs for a walk and I'll stop and I'll see a car drive by and I'll wonder about the person in the car. And then, (laughs) you know, before long, I'm kind of creating stories. And I think that to really get back to like our true writing selves, we've got to stop being fed and we have to start trying to feed ourselves. And that is really going out and just letting us be without anything else and see what comes to mind. And I listened to an amazing um, episode of a, a radio show. Um, there's a, I don't know if you know the comedian, Phil Jupitus, uh, a British comedian. Oh, I he's, I'd recommend he's, he's a good laugh. Um, nice. But he uh, was very active in the indie music scene and pop punk scene when he was younger. And he wrote this amazing episode of a radio show about the value of boredom and the creative 
value of boredom. We're always consuming in some ways and to be able to just, you know, the same thing, just be. And that really is like, you just go somewhere and you just be and you allow that experience to, to kind of guide you as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that what happens is we, I really do believe we maybe access different parts of our brain by allowing ourselves to do that. And the creative tapestry that comes from that is truly wonderful. Phil was pointing out that most of the punk genre came from boredom. It came from teenagers yeah. not having anything to do. And so they Absolutely. Would... Yeah. I, I grew up that way. I mean, I was bored as a kid a lot. And, you know, my children, they're, they're young adults now, but they don't really have that feeling. Like they're never like, oh, I'm so bored. And I'm like, I, it's so weird. I was actually doing dishes the other day and I was thinking about that. I was like, as a kid, I remember being just absolutely mind-numbingly bored <laughs> and begging my mother for something to do, you know. I think we almost get the opposite problem of content fatigue it's almost like overeating at christmas dinner or something you just you've eaten so much and you you're still eating mindlessly you're kind of grazing but you don't know why and you're not hungry and you're starting to feel a bit sick and sometimes i get that with like i've it's my millionth youtube video of the day or it's you know (laughs) i've i've just i'm just And I get that kind of slightly sick feeling of everything I'm watching is great. Everybody's creating these beautiful things, but I'm, I feel like I've had too much. Big takeaway for, for authors uh, that are tuning in, uh, take the time to be bored. (laughs) Get bored, Put, uh, put everything away, lock it away, drive out somewhere and go sit and then your brain will, it will activate. You know, when I wrote Do Over, mm-hmm. which is the first one that came out last year, I hadn't written in 15 years because I was raising kids and I was working and I was just always busy. Mm. And I remember laying in bed one night thinking, okay, how did I write before? Like, where was I come up with these ideas? And so I laid in bed and I just let my mind wander. And mm. all of a sudden I just had this image of a woman sitting in a car looking at the beach. And I could tell like, you know, in the image, she'd been chewing the skin around her thumbs, you know, like, so she was somebody that was had anxiety. And then it really just grew from there. But I had to stop and allow my brain to wander. That's such a wonderful point to make. Thank you so much. And, And thank you so much for coming on the show today. If people want to hear more from you, where can they go? And also, uh, please let us know where people can get your new book when it's released. I have a website. It's authorjulietrose.com. And I have on there all of my books and links to be able to purchase them. Mm-hmm. Um, the book with Adelaide, when it comes out, I'll also make sure I have links on that website. And it's due out May 16th. Um, so as long as everything goes on as to plan, then it should be on that website as well, May 16th. Um, and then the horror novel is supposed to come out at the end of June. So that also will be linked there. So that's really the best place to find anything about me. It has my social media, my email. Wonderful. Well, Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. Yeah, thank you so much again for having this chat. Thank you so much for listening. You can hear more from Juliet on her website. I'll leave a link in the description. If you want to suggest or submit a short story or a subject you'd like us to cover, then contact us through our Facebook page or Twitter and subscribe if you want to hear more. This has been a Yorick Radio production.